ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Soccer, football, whatever you want to call it, is almost back. Rion is same place as always. Nothing's really changed there. But yeah, ladies and gentlemen, football is almost back for the 2020-2021 season. The coronavirus, unfortunately, is still ongoing, of course, which is why in, I will say, 95% of situations, we will not see fans. Uh, the only exception is apparently the UEFA Super Cup. Um, but for the large part, we can still celebrate. Football is coming back. We are happy. I'm talking to Rian. I'm playing soccer with Rian this weekend, too. So pretty good pretty good week coming up after the holiday weekend. But Rian, how you doing, buddy? Not too bad here, Alice. Um, how was your uh, Labor Day weekend, dude? Yeah, Labor, Labor Day was a fun weekend. Um, I got a chance. I got out of the city for a little bit. Spent some time in the woods, basically the middle of nowhere, um, Pennsylvania. So <laughs> super a, nice. lot, a lot of Pennsylvania. Is <laughs> the middle of nowhere, so somewhere I'm being very, very vague about it somewhere in Pennsylvania. Um, so that was really, really nice. And I took Tuesday off too. So I've only been working Wednesday and Thursday this week. And obviously on Friday, I'll be working. So this has been a great relaxing week to get back into things. So I can't complain. Um, but yeah, yeah. How was your weekend? Uh, relaxed for sure. Uh, not as relaxed, I guess, as yours because I was still like in the city here. But no, it was good. I went to Prospect Park on Sunday. It was beautiful day, beautiful day, and ended up walking. Healthy, healthy. oh yeah. Um, ended up walking from Prospect Park back to my house or back to my apartment here. It's a pr- pretty long walk. It's like an hour thirty or so, but it was it was just cool to walk through at like Bed Stuy and and um and through it's all the way straight up or straight north Brooklyn's as I just hadn't really seen any of the neighborhoods in more downtown Brooklyn before, but it was super cool. A lot of a lot of uh West Indian influence, which was great. <laughs> yeah. As as uh yeah, someone with par- with West Indian parents. <laughs> right up your alley yeah exactly no i i can't say i've spent too much time there um but the few times that i have been there great area um i'm very excited to go back to brooklyn and visit rian and hang out and whatever play soccer and whatnot so yeah that's um that's what we got going on the next couple days but of course we're talking the premier league this time around premier league is coming back literally in two days Two days, like there was basically no summer break. Honestly, there was no summer break. There was like a lull in the action. It wasn't a summer break. So we're almost back with the Premier League. And Rian is beyond excited that Christian Pulisic will be taking the number 10 at Chelsea. So basically, he's messy. Um, yeah, there's the next, the next, he is the white William. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> there's so many narratives coming out of Chelsea, as you say, that it's not even funny. Um, but why don't, why don't we start with, the actual league winners for a second, the people that actually won the league last season, Liverpool, of course, I'm talking about Liverpool are obviously a strong team looking at their performance in the Premier league last season. It was pretty much the, would you say the second or third best performance ever? If not, I know you would probably say the first actually, but I will say second or third. Um, It's hard to really go up from there. Obviously, to stay consistent and go back to back, I think it would be a great win for Liverpool. But Rian, what like what do you expect out of Liverpool this season? I mean, they're, they haven't made 
too many signings. I think they've only made one, if I'm not mistaken. And they haven't really changed much. So, yeah, what are you expecting out of Liverpool? Well, I think first, I wouldn't say that was the best before, best season ever. I think for a team, I would that first half. That first half was amazing. The first half they were amazing, but they just they didn't lose <laughs> games. They didn't lose games, but but it's kind of hard to beat. I think the Man City team that won in 2018, 17, 18, the one that that got to a hundred points, the Centurions, where they ended up, where Man City won eighteen games in a row. So I, I, I think. I think that one's hard to beat too. Obviously we have to throw in the invincibles because, you know, Arsenal fans do listen to this as well, but I, I, I think, uh, Just let's play to the crowd. The point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 You have to throw it in or else they'll get mad. So it's fine. <laughs> but, um, but no, no, I think for, it'll be interesting for this season because Liverpool have not, like you said, really splurged on the cash this summer. And, Granted, most teams have not, but they have turned down Timo Werner already this summer, where we knew that he was pretty much on his way to Liverpool if things were normal. And, you know, we've been seeing been seeing some reports about the fact that apparently Klopp had asked him to wait a few weeks over the summer before they could get like a real final answer to him. And between that time, you know, Werner was just like, I, I want to go now. So that's, that was the big thing that, it, that kept him, I think away from Liverpool, but they're trying to get players out before they can bring in players. And they're like dragging their feet with Tiago right now, which is makes me like somewhat concerned about. Can this team take not the next step, but can this team up their level just a little bit to be able to be back-to-back champions. That, that's something that we saw with Manchester City two years ago. And it'll be interesting to see. I, 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 I am a little, I'd say cautiously optimistic for their title chances. I, I think there's no doubt they are still one of the two best teams in the country. They're they're easily one of the two best teams there. They should still be, I think, the favorite going to next season purely because they want it. And they've changed. The team has changed very little. But who knows? We'll see. We'll see. They've got guys like Minamino coming in who who came in in January and didn't play very much during the second half of the season, which makes, you know, usually happens with a lot of January signings. But he's someone who I thought looked pretty good in the community shield against Arsenal and someone I think is going to be a very effective player for them. But do the, do they have enough to go back to back Elias? I I know that Jurgen Klopp went back to back with Borussia Dortmund about a decade ago against Bayern Munich, who the relative difference in, I think quality and wages, spending power between Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich is a much bigger gap than Liverpool and Manchester City. So there's no reason to say that they can't do it again. But, but yeah. um, I I want to hear from you first, Elias. Long story short, I don't think Liverpool win the league again. I don't. I, I And here's why. Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool are very good at building a team out of what they have. Jurgen Klopp specifically is very good at, I would say, getting the best out of his players. Once I think he's gotten the best out of his players, like I think he's done at Dortmund, 
like I think he has already done at Liverpool, he needs to find ways to rejuvenate the, the squad in the same Alex Ferguson type way that he did every couple of years at United. The reason being is that football changes every couple of years dynamically, right? It, it's a, it's a fluid game where, you know, tactics, managerial styles, you know, periods of play, things like that, that all changes. And I, I have a fear that Liverpool, I, I don't want to say that they're falling behind because I don't think they are, but I think that they will be, I, I fear that they become stagnant. I fear that they become complacent with where they are like we did, or like we did see after they won the league and even somewhat in, you know, the cup games that they played since then, they've become a little stagnant, right? And it, I don't think it's as easy as a, oh, it, this is, uh, you know, a team with no hunger or anything like that. I think that's BS. This is a Jurgen Klopp team, and, and I think Jurgen Klopp teams have shown that ever, you know, regardless of where they are. But I do fear that there's a lacking sense, or there will become a lacking sense of energy in the side that can contribute something new, something different. They they need players like Tiago. God knows they need players like Tiago. But I don't. I just don't think that they can actually stay steady like winning the Premier League is hard and I I would almost argue that keeping it is harder because every team below them granted it's a big gap will be gunning for their heels and Man City on the back of what happened last season is definitely going to be looking to do that Um, and and I think City are kind of in a different monetary place (laughs) just just a little bit that's a nice way of putting it a a very (laughs) big understatement (laughs) Yeah, ex- exactly. It's night and day. Um, Liverpool, I do think are, I, I don't think they're being stingy with Thiago in the same way that they are with Werner because Klopp has said this repeatedly before the coronavirus really did take a toll on their financial situation. And it's not like Liverpool were a spending club before this. So I, I, I believe that part of him, but I also believe the part of me that goes, you're an idiot if you don't actually just pull the trigger on someone like Thiago. Cause I think that's probably his last major move um if he does make one at this point well agreed and you know one thing we have to note too is that two seasons ago liverpool played almost a perfect season and lost the league by a point they had 97 points and didn't win the league that's enough to win the league any other year in just about Literally. any other league right so they followed that up with another fantastic season with 99 points, 97 to 99. That's, well, that's two years of going really, really intense and hard every match. Like, and granted, you expect that the effort levels will be there. Like you said, it's a Jurgen Klopp team. The effort levels is not something that we're really worried about. But it is something like mentally three straight seasons of playing to that intensity and that level of focus over 38 games, especially in a season that is going to be so, you know, disjointed as this one, it could be their ultimate, I think, advantage, their, their continuity season to season. But at the same sense, you know, this, their, the squad, we still feel is a little thin behind the starting 11, at least compared to, to the other top four contenders. 
And that hasn't really been a problem the last two years, but you can't guarantee that the third season. So I, I think we still expect, I still expect them to be finishing second at worst, but it's just the margins between them and Manchester city, as we saw last season is so, so small that draws for Manchester city's case, especially in that first half of the season, they, they're basically losses. So when, when the other team you're going up against is, is Liverpool or Manchester city. So that's, yeah, it's two drop points, not one. Long. Um, I, I agree. I, I just don't think Liverpool will. It's tough, right? Because you're talking about a team with 97 to 99 points the last two years. And here I am saying, nah, I don't think they're going to win the league again next year. Like any other year, I'd be like, yeah, of course yeah. Liverpool are going to win the league. But I think the City team is just different when it comes to their mentality um, and when it comes to their ability to rejuvenate the squad. So, Yeah. And then one, I guess one, thing, one thing before we get on, we move on to City is just. No fans, no fans at Anfield for most likely the first half of the first month or two of the season. When last year, how many games did they pull out of their ass getting three points or, you know, coming back from losing positions or turning a draw into a win? How many times did they do that at Anfield last season? So that that's a huge that's going to be a huge effect on the team that I think a team and manager, especially that really feeds off of the crowd in a lot of their games. And, and I think we saw that slight drop off in the, in the restart and we'll see if it carries over into next season. But Agreed. Alas, alas, shall we move on to the team that finished second? The, the, yes. bald, the bald fraud. No, not fraud. No, no, no. That was obviously, that was just pointed at Elias to jab him. But Nice. Manchester City, Manchester City, Elias, Pep Guardiola, four seasons at Barcelona, where, you know, I just watched the take the ball, pass the ball documentary about those, his four years at Barcelona, because it just came on to Netflix in the U.S. here. Four years where he was basically mentally dead by the end of it, um, partially because of you know, the politics of Barcelona and, politics, and, yeah. and, and partially, yeah, I, I think also might have something to do with the intensity, the, the way that he pushes himself, I think at that intense level, um, probably might've also burned out just a little bit as we saw after he took, he took a hiatus, a one-year hiatus and then went to Bayern and did three seasons. For the first time, we're going to see a Pep Guardiola team that he's been at for five seasons. And I know we, we've, we've probably talked about third season Mourinho syndrome, the it <laughs> happens with the player, the players being jaded about him and, and being a bit harder to get the same results or the same performances out of players. Is there any reason for us to be concerned about that for Manchester City, for, for Pep in a fifth season, which we've never seen before? I don't actually think that I'm too concerned about Pep this season. Normally I, I probably would be. Um, but I think the biggest difference between Pep now at city and really his time at Barcelona, especially and partially at Bayern, um, but, but largely Barcelona, he has the support of not only all of his players, but I think all of the board and all of Manchester city's management, he has their full undivided support basically. And that is important as a manager because you can't make decisions with full clarity unless you have that level of support. 
And I think Pep feels that and recognizes that, which is why this is going to be his longest stint so far in a manager in a managerial role. Um, so I, I think that says a lot about what the the way that Manchester City have managed their <laughs> quote unquote internal politics and their team. Um, I, I don't know what my expectations for Pep are this season, honestly, because. I feel like we've written the same story twice in the Champions League. No, three times now under in the last four years, if you include the Monaco year. Um, so uh, I don't know what my expectation is. Every year we're like, oh, they're the favorites or near the favorites. Every year something like this happens. I, I don't know what to expect, honestly, from the Champions League. However, I actually do expect them to win the Premier League. They, they would be my pick for, for champions. So I guess I, I ruined the, the end part of this for, for everyone where we actually do our predictions. But, yeah, that's my expectation for, for Manchester City this year. <laughs> Elias is not a company man at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but, um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I'm not, ext- I'm not concerned about Pep's mental state, too. I think you make a great point, like, the Manchester City executive board level um, management is perfectly constructed for Pep Guardiola. That that's a that's a board that they put together for years in the hope of one day having Pep come and join. You think of Chiki Bergson. You think of um, is it Ferran Soriano. They, these are guys that Pep trusts a lot and people that trust him. So I think mentally. It's going to be all good from him. Manchester City, their biggest issues last year was finishing chances. And, I mean, I'm not sure that they've quite done anything to address that. Um, they have Sergio Aguero again, but you, you know you can't d- trust or rely on him for a full season. You, you just That's just how it is. He's You know he's going to be injured at least a couple times in the season for a few games. Um, so it's, it's a team that's going to be really relying upon Gabriel Jesus to take a step, take that next step in his development really, and become and start showing the signs. Well, he showed the signs before I should, I shouldn't say that he showed the signs before of being the heir, the heir to Aguero. But I think this season he's got to get closer to Aguero's level. Because I, that's what that that's what they're missing. They're missing someone to just put the ball into the net. Sometimes <laughs> it's 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 frustrating as a neutral watching them at times. Um, the amount of beautiful things that they do for just about eighty to ninety yards of the pitch, and then you get into the last ten to twelve, and you, it's basically a toss up for a team with that much talent. And oh, who who knows? I, I still think they should go out and get a another striker behind Jesus and Aguero to who is just a bit of a different profile. You know, like I, I don't have any real suggestions. I don't have any suggestions here, but, but nice. <laughs> yeah, you should I, be the sporting director. <laughs> but I do think they're missing someone. Uh, all right, to throw a name out, a Danny Ings type. Someone who scored 22 goals in the Premier League last season and is just an out-and-out striker. He may not necessarily fit the link-up play that Pep would like from his forwards, but they just need, I think, someone in there who is purely a poacher, a pure poacher. Because 
the plan B in a lot of their games does is still playing the same way, but kind of changing who's in which positions pretty much. And yeah. so, so I, I think it would be helpful for city to have a more traditional striker, but so I Ralph am not, yeah. all right, enough. Right? <laughs> not, not, <laughs> no, he deserves to be, I will keep, I will sound this out for all, for, years if this doesn't happen anytime soon like he should be going to atleti and that's all i'm going to say that for now oh, i'll save more <laughs> I, I, i'll probably yell more about it on our on our la liga preview but 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 uh, <laughs> a, a raul jimenez type not someone that good because he's someone that good should not be wasting a lot. <laughs> fair <laughs> enough fair yeah. enough fair enough well I, I think that covers largely what we expect from city the unexpected pretty much <laughs> tldr um but yeah, let's move over to the other part of Manchester, um, where it is red. Manchester United, of course, they've made improvements over the last, what, nine months? Pretty much, like, uh, since 2020 began. The only bright spot for United fans has to be their team this entire year. Like, everything else in their lives must be just complete shit, because uh, United are... Like, if you think of it as a stock, it goes up and down, right? But over time, it goes up. <laughs> and so that's how I would categorize United, honestly, right now. I, d- I don't know. What, I still don't know what to make of this team. Like, I, I personally don't think Ole should be running it. Um, I still maintain that. I also think that they need pretty, I would say, significant overhaul in midfield. Help with Bruno Fernandez. Um but I, I don't know. They can't just keep relying on this diaspora of front three people to get them through each game. <laughs> no, they they have so much to, I mean, over the nine. Like you said, last nine months, it's all changed. Like where were we last? Dece- I feel like last December, November, we were like, what the hell do they? What the hell is their like point of having the ball? Why do they even want to have the ball? It just looks <laughs> it looks. Like it actually just hurts them having it a lot of the time, at, at least in, in the beginning of last season. But no, the Bruno Fernandes thing changed everything because they finally got someone in midfield who was willing to try to play a risky pass and not totally devoid of their confidence in being able to play those passes. Bruno Fernandes, the exact opposite. He actually would rather play the risky pass than even the pass that helps you keep the keep possession. I mean, personally, I like my number 10s to not basically make every pass into their striker as if they were shooting it, but, <laughs> but, but clearly you haven't played with Lukaku. Oh, oh, Lukaku. My goodness. Lukaku, Lukaku would have been run out of town playing, playing <laughs> honestly, if you, he would have really looked shit. And we would have been all very, very, uh, I think, justified in saying that he was shit if he with, if he played with Bruno Fernandez. He wouldn't have been able to handle any of these passes for sure. But that's why you got to give credit, I think, to Martial, who I think has become, I mean, genuinely has taken such a step forward in like in since the turn of the year, since the beginning of 2020, he was in my opinion, their best player during the restart as good as Fernandez was as good as Rashford was coming back from his injury. I think Martial 
developing a much better hold up and link up play, or at least a more consistent one. I think that was always our criticism of him was, was his ability to be consistent with his performances. And he has been, and I think that's the biggest difference for Manchester United is that they have someone up top who can not only hold the ball up, but he also has great pace, great feet, and his finishing has been more and more consistent. And you know, I think if he drops off a little bit, they're in real trouble, but they've got enough attacking talent. The midfield is a question mark. I don't want to say it's bad. It's not bad. It's just a Donny van de Beek comes in who, by the way, great, great player. I think it's, I think it's a good signing. He's a good player, a very, very good player. I just worry a bit about the balance of that team. If at any point they are playing all of Pogba, Bruno Fernandez and Donny van de Beek at the same time. And granted, maybe they it's, it's not a balanced midfield. It's, it's just not two of them take up the same position at any given time. So it, it's not to answer your point. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And my, my one, the thing that holds me up with that, and I, and I know that last season United had terrible, terrible depth on their bench. I mean, they still do. That actually has not changed. They have not gotten any more deep in their attacking option or their midfield options. I should say outside of Van de Beek, but that's like you said, a player that plays pretty much the same position as Bruno Fernandez. It's just, I don't, I, I don't see how Donny Van de Beek would have come to Manchester United to be like a rotational kind of someone who could take over for Bruno Fernandez when he needs like a breather in a couple of games. I can't imagine he's come to Manchester United on the back of that, because that seems to be the only kind of pushback I've seen to any critic, anyone criticizing Manchester United for getting Danny, Donny van de Beek a player at a position of no, of really no need. Right. I, I find it hard to believe he's come to United to just be Bruno Fernandez backup. So if they're playing all three of them, it's a, it's a real worry for me and they have not gone out and addressed getting a midfielder who is just a bit more traditional holding mid um, as good as, Pogba can kind of play that position, but Pogba's at his best, as we've seen, especially with France, when there's an athletic holding mid behind him to kind of keep him secure and help him out in terms of the defending part because we know how athletic Pogba is, but he is not the best defensively, positionally or otherwise, right? So... That's my one question mark with Manchester United. I think their defending is still just about good enough. Just about good enough to make top four. They were still one of the best. They were still one of the best in expected goals allowed last year. I, I will not. I will not take this shit. I said it in December of last year that I thought they would make top four, mostly because they were just good at defending, which, you know, only like four, three teams really could defend last season, not including the team that <laughs> finished fourth. So I think they'll be all right. Def- I think they'll be fine defensively. I think they'll be fine defensively. It's the mid- did you forget Harry Maguire's in jail? Did, did that slip your mind? Or 
Well, Ellis, I thought you would have said that's actually a better thing for them. Oh, it is. Oh, it is. But they haven't signed anyone to replace him. That's the only problem. That's their bigger need. I think it's their fullbacks or their center backs in that order. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, I think there's probably an upgrade to Luke Shaw somewhere, but <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's probably an upgrade to Luke Shaw and Victor Lindelof there and Eric Bailly. It's it's there's still what three weeks left of the transfer window, so we don't know. Maybe though, maybe something happens. Things change very quickly, but. This United team, as currently constructed, even if they add Jaden Sancho, is still missing something in the midfield, some balance, honestly. And maybe, maybe I'll have to eat my words, and Fred will be like nouveau Claude Makélélé next season, and, and just prove. Oh, it. oh my <laughs> god, that's a name I haven't heard of forever. Wow! Maybe, yes. maybe. who knows, Alice? Yeah. Uh, you never know. You never know. Right? Maybe, no, I'm maybe. pretty confident. Yeah, I mean, I'm fairly confident too. But, <laughs> <laughs> but who knows? Who knows? I mean, that's the only way I see this current team really taking any major step from last season. And that doesn't mean I don't think they'll make top four, but a step up from last season, getting closer to Liverpool and Manchester City, is is what is the goal. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well. That's United. They still, I think, in my opinion, have a lot to repair, but at least they're not looking terrible. Like, I have to give them that. And they did add a quality player in Van de Beek. Granted, I don't know how he's going to fit into. But with that, we're going to move to, I'm sure, what will be a lengthy discussion with Rian. But I'm I'm going to time you. Maybe I should time you with Chelsea. You guys apparently have unlimited Russian money, so... That that sweet sweet gold must feel that great liquid gold. Right now. That, that, that liquid, liquid gold. tar gold. <laughs> that liquid tar gold. Mm. Yeah, how does it feel? Oh man, um, for the most part, it feels pretty good. It feels pretty. I know. I. What do you mean for the most part? For the most part, it feels pretty good. It, I mean, who knows what? What's happens? the downside? The downside, I, I don't know. Maybe. Oh, man, we got to watch more games than we win. Maybe the center backs next to Thiago Silva is still not enough. Fair enough, but you also can't win in a perfect world. (laughs) So I think, okay, Thiago Silva, I think, is a perfect stopgap for one major reason. Well, two. One, he's experienced. That cannot go, like, completely uncalled for. Very, very good experience in, in Europe and, you know, playing Premier League teams. I think that's one piece. The second piece, which I think is almost equally as important, is this man has publicly stated that he wants to play with Brazil at the World Cup in 2022. This is the perfect way for him to get the perfect amount of attention from the Brazil camp to actually call him up to that World Cup tournament. So I don't think that having him around is the worst thing in the world. What I will say with the rest of the signings is that if you are at all upset about any part of this, I think you're crazy. Like Havertz, Werner, Ziyech, that alone is a 10 out of 10 summer to, to bring in those signings. So you should be very, very happy that that happened. Yeah, I agree. It's the, you're right. The signings are 
Great. I'm I'm delighted with the signings. I should I shouldn't sound so <laughs> gloomy gloomy here. I'm delighted with the signings. This is all you could have ever asked for. I should say my more pressing issue might be the fit with the attackers and the midfield. I think similar to United, Chelsea's midfield is not quite balanced. In my in my opinion, and things could change very easily. I think the thing that could change my opinion on that would be Mateo Kovacic taking a step, uh, another step in his development this year and being. I think the thing for me that has missed, that's been missing from Chelsea the last couple seasons, especially is the Fabregas role, right? The deep lying kind of playmaker, the deep lying player who's playing balls in behind accurately and, and finding runners. I think we've gotten flashes of that from Jorginho, but ultimately it's not good enough to, I think, balance how unathletic Jorginho is on, on counterattacks and, you know, and a lot of one-on-ones really. I think that's a real issue for Chelsea is, is finding someone or, developing one of these players, one of these midfielders into being that type of player that, that is going to play the passes in behind, behind the back line through the, through lines of defenders, you know, to play in a Timo Werner, Pulisic, you know, whoever, whoever is willing to make the runs in behind Tammy Abraham, any, any of them. So I, I think the attackers are not, the biggest problem the the fit I think will not be too bad for up front because as much as it seems weird that you have Havertz, but at the same time you have Mount and you have ZH and Pulisic. And then there was all guys who can play pretty much across the attacking midfield, you know, left center and right. But Havertz breakout season, I should say for people who, who might believe he's, can't play next to Mason Mound or next to another um, someone who's playing in the number 10 role. He did play with Eulen Brandt at Leverkusen the season before um, Eulen Brandt went to Dortmund. And that was goals wise Havertz best season, 17 goals, I believe eight assists that year. And he was able to play in a role in, in a, in a three and midfield three that included a defensive mid. I believe it was a uh, Lars Bender for Leverkusen playing in, in a three with another very, very attacking player because you can see that Havertz is able to play in a lot of position. His versatility is going to be really, really important to making this fit work. I think, in, I think for Frank Lampard and especially for the guys up top, the fact that Havertz is able to play as a deeper kind of center mid, not a, not a holding mid, but as a deeper kind of center mid in a four three three, or as a number ten, or even on the right if there's an injury of sorts, and which we actually might see this upcoming Monday because I believe Ziyech, Hakim Ziyech, is not going to be able to play in Chelsea's first game. So, I think the fit of the attackers is actually going to be a bit more seamless than people expect. I'm still just waiting to see. How does that, is that midfield still balanced enough to 
supply those attackers up front because that was something that was a big problem last season. I think led to a lot of the consistencies is not quite having, I think, the right mix of midfielders. And it might just be the qualities of the players. But like I said, if, if Mateo Kovic is able to He's never going to be Fabregas. So, so it's like asking for asking for him to be Fabregas is way too much. But just that playing style. Someone needs to be more willing to play balls in behind in their midfield, I think. So we'll see. There, there, was, there was a lot of inconsistency last season. How much of that is due to the youth of the players? How much of that is due to the balance of the entire squad? So. You really have a thing against Ross Barkley, don't you? What did he ever do to you? Oh my gosh, I didn't even mention him. Wow, I genuinely forgot about him. <laughs> I think I've, I think I've mentally sold him in my own head. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think he's really that guy either. Quite frankly, I, I kind of agree with you. I don't know if Chelsea has that profile of player, the Fabregas esque. Mateo Kovacic is not that. He's basically Casemiro with more muscle. Like that's how I look at him. Better so, dribbler. Better dribbler. But even that's too. debatable. Um, that's, that's no, 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 I'm not letting you laugh that off. He is a much better dribbler than Casemiro. Seriously? A much better dribbler than Casemiro. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Can't believe I'm defending it makes me think, it makes me, it makes me think you haven't watched Casemiro play before. <laughs> oh, oh, I have. He deserves more red cards than he's given credit for. But... Yeah. Okay. Well, agree to disagree. I, I generally agree with you, though. I think Chelsea need that profile of player still. Ziyech is not that. I mean, kind of, but not from the midfield position, right? More from a right wing position. So if they could find that profile of player, then I think they have possibly the most balanced team in Europe, like genuinely speaking. So you have a lot to look forward to. Yep. Fingers crossed here, at least. Fingers crossed. I'm not really still not super confident on the back, but hey, if we're, I'm cool to winning every game 5 3 if, if that's what it takes. All right. <laughs> yeah, you're just going to get crushed in the Champions League. That's a completely different story. A little but, column A, a little column B. Yeah, there you go. All right, well, let's take a break. We'll be back talking about, oh, God, Tottenham. All right, we are back talking a little Tottenham, a little Arsenal, a little, a little this, a little bit of that. Um, of course, <laughs> we are in the middle of watching the All or Nothing um, <laughs> documentary on Amazon Prime, which is just fantastic, um, by the way. Like, genuinely better than both, I think, the Manchester City one and the, the Eagles one. So definitely go watch it if you, if you haven't. Mourinho apparently hates... Deli Alley loves Harry Kane and is very, very indifferent about pretty much the rest of the squad. So, yeah, let's let's talk about Tottenham. What do you expect out of them this season, right? Second season Mourinho. Yeah. I, second season Mourinho. I mean, I have to say, just to stop off on the Prime, Amazon Prime series, how Dare they, yada, yada, the Pochettino part of that season. Three months, almost three months of the season. That was just basically a montage, a 20-minute montage. 
And then to disrespect Pochettino for the rest of the series for you, at the subtle jabs at at him was disgusting. Okay. All right. That's all I have to say on that. Pochettino deserves better from that documentary for sure. But like you said, the Mourinho show, which they should have just changed the name of that, of that all or nothing series. But second season Mourinho usually, usually leads to titles. Manchester United, the second season uh, won the Europa League and the League Cup. And in every other second season, you know, he's won you know the league. But this is a bit different because we, as we've talked about before, Tottenham is the poorest team, at least the poorest team relative to their own league that Jose Mourinho has ever coached. So they have to be way more diligent in how they're scouting these players and, and how they're spending the money, as we also have seen from the series. Danny Levy, not quite ready to splash cash on any player, really. So <laughs> Very frugal. Extremely, extremely. Um, they've brought in Pierre-Emil Hoiberg from Southampton, who is a Jose Mourinho player, a hundred thousand percent, a holding mid that is not good at passing, but really good at tackling and fouling people. So there you go. There's your answer. Doesn't have to. He's, he's definitely playing. <laughs> it's all of Spurs' problems. There's the answer. There's the answer. He needed that. And then bringing in, I thought bringing in Matt Doherty from Wolves, um, the right back, is actually a great signing. A really great signing, especially again, agreed for the type of team that Jose Marino is trying <laughs> to craft. Um, I think he's going to be a great, a great signing for Tottenham, but vintage second season Mourinho means trophies. Elias, is this the year? Is no, this the year. No, stop, stop no. talking. Stop <laughs> it. Stop it. This team, 12 years. Leon, cut it out. Cut it out. Magic. You don't think the magic of the FA Cup. Oh, my God. Bullshit with the magic of the FA Cup. This this Tottenham team. The spirituality of the League Cup. There's no such thing. Not when it comes to Spurs. The vibes. The vibes. Oh, yeah. That's what Spurs Spurs fans can look forward to. Just straight vibes this season. Like, honestly, nothing else. If you're a Spurs fan. And you have consistently supported Spurs throughout the last 10 to 15 years. I applaud you. Bravo. Because you've endured some tough stuff. Like, truly. I I genuinely mean that. If you're a Spurs fan that has recently started following the team within the last 8 to 10 years, are you a masochist? Do you hate yourself? That would be my honest question. All right. The Pochettino years were pretty good, to be fair. The The Pochettino years were good in the sense that they... They were on a constant upward, albeit slowly upward, trajectory in terms of the quality of play, in terms of players that wanted to play at Spurs. I'm finishing top four consistently, which was not not a normal thing for Tottenham. Exactly. That's what I mean. It went consistently upwards until, of course, the final season. But it, it was you could see a path. And then there wasn't one all of a sudden because... Players got stale, mentality got old, people didn't really want to put in the same level of effort that they were under Pochettino years ago as they did now. So what has Mourinho changed? Oh, hmm, a formation? Like, what has changed 
the personnel haven't changed much, right? We've seen, I would say, two core exits. Right? Eric Dyer, the first name on the team sheet. <laughs> yeah, every time, as you as you very clearly see from the the documentary. Um, but yes, I, I think there have been maybe two major exits in that core team from Pochettino. So what's changed? It's I, I give credit that they Spurs signed an amazing coach, an ama- truly an amazing coach in Mourinho. But I don't think that they have the squad enough to compete with top four right now. Maybe, maybe they can compete with your Lester's and your Wolves uh, over the course of a season, right? In terms of consistency, because I think their players are of higher quality. But I, I think those two teams that I mentioned, Lester and Wolves, are better teams. So <laughs> I just don't. I don't expect anything from Tottenham. I just. I'm sorry. Like I don't have a reason to say other than magic second season Mourinho that they're going to be a better team. It is tough to see the path. I, I guess there were, there were some injuries for the second half of last season. I still didn't like what I saw from them during the restart when they were relatively healthy. It's, I, I agree. Hard to see, hard to see how they break into the top four from the, from the teams we saw from last season, even Leicester, I still expect them to be very good. So it is hard to see just from the squad. And I think this is going to be such a hard season, such a hard season for, for autonomous in the league, at least. I think there might come a point in December or early January when they just decide Mourinho decides within his coaches and maybe, maybe he even talks to Daniel Levy about it, but there, there might come a point half midpoint of the season where the mindset is win the Europa league. And that's how we get back in to the champions league because all this being said, Jose Mourinho still at the top of my list, I think the top two or three in my list of managers that I would take in a knockout scenario almost any day of the week because a knockout scenario. Now it's just don't lose and we can kind of bullshit our way past a couple rounds that Jose Mourinho is very good at doing. So I'm not going to say that I'm not going to throw out the opportunity that, that they win a trophy this season because over 38 games? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. They have no chance of, of winning a trophy that way. But over the course of seven or eight games, one-offs where there has to be a winner at the end of it and parking the bus for 70 minutes and just playing long balls to Sonny and, and Deli Ali and Harry Kane at times, that might work. That that. That works. I've seen that work. Not for Tottenham, obviously, but I've seen that work for other teams in in knockout in in a lot of knockout tournaments. So I'm not counting them out for winning a trophy. I don't. Yeah, their their top four is really tough for me to see how that happens um, without. I mean, without someone stepping up that we just don't see coming right now. So fair enough. Fair enough. TLDR, we don't know what to expect from Tottenham. I don't expect much, much of anything, quite honestly. But let's go to the other side of North London in a team that 
because as you would probably say, been getting better vibes <laughs> from the rest of the rest of England. Good what do you, vibes. Yeah. Good vibes. What do you expect out of Arsenal this season? The, well, my ex, the expectations for Arsenal this season, it, it's not going to be top four, right? We're talking about a team that had to change managers mid season. Granted Tottenham had to do the same and, and Mikel Arteta came in and stabilized that team. And, at the end of it, they won the FA Cup and they beat Liverpool in the Community Shield. Right, two huge confidence boosters for a team that I think desperate that needed needed it. You know, a young team, but also a young manager. I think a combination of all of that really, really needed it. Coming off their worst season in in decades, right? So. I think we can expect them to at least. I think we're they're pushing fifth or sixth. I'm not sure that I think they'll finish fifth or sixth, but I think there's no reason to think they're not they're not going to be able to at least push. I think Leicester and um, be at least as good as Wolves and 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 I think they should be better than. I think that they will play better than Tottenham. Now, will they get more points than Tottenham? I'm not sure because, as I said before, Jose Mourinho very good at just getting results. But I think the vibes are good for Arsenal going into this season. I feel good about Arteta. I feel good that he's gonna that he's gonna get a chance to actually show whether he's a good coach or not. And I think the early signs have been more good than bad. So, my one thing to look out for Arsenal this this season, I think, is. I felt that Arteta did a great job at doing everything he could to mitigate how bad that that defense is. This season, I would like to see, was he so good at that because he was just really focusing on it a lot more than the attack and felt more confident in in this team's ability to break on counters and, and... you know, go forward and you have a great finisher in Aubameyang up front. So that, that obviously makes things a lot easier. I do wonder if, if Arteta is a bit more pragmatic than we expect a Guardiola disciple to be. And I'm not saying that he is, but I, that's one of the things I'm actually really looking forward to this season, because like I said, they were so good. I thought they were so solid defensively. They, not as free flowing as I would have expected, you know, someone who coached under Guardiola for two seasons to set his teams up, but not a criticism. Well, I, I think Arteta recognizes his limitations with this team, right? They're not the quality of Manchester city. And I think you saw him at the beginning of his Arsenal reign, try and basically be as free flowing as Manchester city was. And it backfired pretty, pretty badly. Like the first couple of weeks, and then I think he had to adjust. So, I, I mean, he's probably not as, I mean, free-flowing as Pep is, but I, I think he aspires to be at that level, but he almost has to be, I think, a little bit more pragmatic. So I, I don't think top four is in it, you know, it realistic realistically for Arsenal this season. I do th- think that they should look towards growth and they should look towards retaining the FA Cup because I think they did a wonderful job in the in the competition. Um and I think they should also look towards top four, not because, you know, they can. It's just that I don't think it's likely. Um, I, I do think that they're they're getting better, though, with Arteta. 
Yeah, and I wouldn't I wouldn't think that it's crazy to back them for a deep run in the Europa League next season. You know, that that'll by the time the knockout stages of that come along, assuming that they get out of the group stage, they'll be more than a year under Arteta and you'll hope that more signs of growth in the team and, and, and the development is there and you're hoping that they're that they are somewhere closer to what he wants to see from them ultimately. And, and that, and that could be, that could be a great, a great, um, I think story for the second half of the season for them, a deep run in the Europa league. And like I said, and maybe even something in the FA cup, getting to the final of FA cup or something again, a deep run, deep runs in those, in those knockout competitions, I think is, is not a crazy expectation to have for them. Um, like you said, top four is probably a bit unrealistic, but at the same time, if they finish sixth, they finish fifth and way off fourth or something like that. Not a bad thing. It's 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 totally still a great. I think it's still a very successful season because it's just about getting from the rock bottom that they were at last November. You know, um, that's what it's about for us. So they need to. They're just slowly but surely. I think we'll get their way back. Um, and I think, and I, and I do, like I said before, I believe in, I believe in Arteta. Um, I think they've got the right coach there. Will they back him up fully for the next couple of years remains to be seen, but um, I, I think it's, I think it's a good season. I think it'll be a positive season again for Arsenal. Well, well, good luck to Arsenal because God knows they need it, especially their fans. So with that, we're going to move on to, Leicester Wolves and Everton really is the last remaining teams to talk about Leicester and the Wolves, of course, were basically on the cusp of Champions League football last season. Um, what I mean, I don't know what to expect. I, I feel like we say this with each team, right? That's the problem. I, I think I know what to expect from Wolves with the Leicester. I'm, I'm actually a little concerned because I think their form was basically on the on the down by the time the end of the season came around wolves on the other hand i think were pretty consistent not consistently great but like pretty pretty consistent so i mean if you had to pick between the two assuming that they're on the cusp of champions league europe league you know football where do you put them it's tough i i would like to think about it more as who do we think is has a better chance of of making a real push to, to, to the top four again. It, I want to say Lester. I want to say Lester because I still think that they play great football. I think it was tough. They had no Madison or Chilwell for for almost the entire last nine games of the Premier League season. So that made they, that made their collapse even worse, and it didn't help that. So Yunchu got himself sent off a red card offense with the last three games of the season left and couldn't play in the last three games when his team needed him the most. The quality, I think, is still there to, to finish fifth, sixth or fifth, really. But Wolves and basically half the Portuguese national youth and national team <laughs> I think they. I, I will never bet against Raul Jimenez. So 
I think that should answer. Wow. I've never met a lot of stock in him. I respect it. No, I completely no, no. respect it. <laughs> and of course, Adama Traore's baby oil drenched <laughs> biceps <laughs> makes, I mean, who's going to stop him? No, of course. No one. No one. That's hysterical. <laughs> yeah, no one's going to stop Wolves. Um, or excuse me, Adama Traore. But I, I do agree with you. It's It's hard to overlook the quality that Wolves have on an individual level. The only problem, I think, is their level of consistency over 38 games. That, I think, is the bigger problem. Um, because outside of that, I think Wolves are a great team with a great manager. Nuno, I think, will definitely be disappointed in himself and their overall progress last season. But, I, you know, I don't underestimate Wolves as a team. They are an extremely well-talented sign. And I mean, like you said, they're basically the Portuguese national team, but like 10 years younger. Um, and, and they gel really, really well. Just as a unit, I'm really impressed with Wolves. So they're my kind of favorite of the two to, to go farther in the Premier League this season. And I think that wraps it up for Leicester and Wolves. But one team that is just very confusing, like more so than any other team, is Everton in their both their managerial picks and their player picks. Like if you if you honestly renamed Everton to I don't know, like Valencia, it would basically be like the English equivalent. Just quality players, some big names here and there, with a big manager that stops by every once in a while and just poo-poo man like upper management. That is the English equivalent. Yeah, we're going to see definitely the best Everton midfield we've probably ever seen. Considering last year they were playing like Tom Davies and I think like Andre Gomez. Oh, Fabian Delph was also a mainstay in that, in that <laughs> midfield. So in the least, a midfield of, of Allen, Ducore, and James Rodriguez, it, the minimum level, the, 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 the basement potential of that is still so much higher than what we saw last year. So, staggeringly higher. Staggeringly. I agreed. Uh, I think that their biggest X factor, and he's not even X factor, I think, because we know he's a, he's a very good player is Richarlison. And whether he, again, it's uh, you know, another player that I think is in line to make a huge develop is to make a huge development next season, next season or this season, upcoming season. If he becomes a player that we're legitimately talking about going, making a move to a Barcelona, Real Madrid, then that Everton team might genuinely prove competition for fourth place. So I think a lot of it rides on on his performance next season. Because now I think that the foundation is there, that, that midfield. That feels like a top five top six midfield for sure. So, Yeah, I don't, I don't actually disagree with you at all. Um, I, Richarlison still has a lot of way, I think a lot more growth to go um, compared to maybe like Lautaro Martinez, for example, um, before I think he goes to a top, top European club. But he's on, he's on his way. I, I, okay, Everton going for top four, I think, is probably your hottest take that you've had like since we started the podcast. But... But 
I'm very interested to see how their midfield works. I, I don't know how it will, but Ancelotti and James have a good relationship going back years. So maybe he can get the best out of him because it's a shame that he's a player that's basically lived on the accolades of the 2014 World Cup for the last six years. So he deserves a lot more than that. Um, as for the rest of Everton, Everton somehow finds a way each year to look so good on paper and get everyone talking about them. And then 12 weeks later, you're like, ah, that's why they're, that's why last season happened. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Everton's expecting the same thing. That's the, that's the problem, right? Nothing at its core has changed with their, their upper management. I guess their coaching has certainly improved, but, uh, God, yeah, this is the year. This is the year, Everton. This is the year you guys finally don't get embarrassed by Liverpool again. This is the year. I think they. I think they're going to beat Liverpool in one of these two in one of their two games this year. What do you want to crack? Jeez. Okay. I think they can do it. I think this is the year. I'm I'm throwing it out there. This is the year they beat Liverpool. Cool. You've gone crazy. All right. I need a break because you, you actually lost your mind. All right. We're going to take a break. That's just shocking. All right. Lastly, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to wrap up with, as always, as we do with our league previews, our Premier League Manager of the Year Award, Player of the Year Award, and Young Player of the Year Award. And also, you know, who's going to win the Premier League <laughs> and the top four? Who's going to finish in the Champions League for next season? So, Rion, who's your manager of the year, player of the year, and, of course, a young player of the year? All right. Manager of the year. I think we're going to end up talking about this team sometime in the next couple of weeks because they're newly promoted and back to the Premier League for the first time since, I believe, it was 2003 or 2002. Leeds United's manager, Marcelo Bielsa. I'm going to go with him as my, I think he'll end up winning it. I, I think I feel good about one. That's their team that has been spending a lot in this summer transfer window. I know the last time we saw a relegated or a uh, promoted team do that was Fulham a few years ago or a couple of years ago, and they got immediately relegated, but I've, I think I have a bit more belief in Marcelo Bielsa than than Fulham at the time. Legendary manager. I think they've got the team to be able to stay up very easily. And with the signings that they've brought in, especially Rodrigo, and I know Elias can probably speak a bit more to him than I, but that's another quality player to have up front as and not to stick with their championship. Uh, forwards that they had last season like they're going out and and building this team to be able to stay in the Premier League for an extended amount of time and I think with a manager of that profile especially after I'm almost making it to the playoff final two years ago and then coming back this last season and ending first in the championship winning the championship title I think they end up finishing in the top half of the table and making maybe make a, make a deep cup run. And I think as a promoted team, that'll be enough for uh, Bielsa to, to win the manager of the year. I 100% agree. Bielsa will absolutely, and should be manager. Of the year. He should already be manager of the year. He is one of my favorite managers in Europe. He is 
so, so just such quality, so intelligent, like very well spoken when it comes to football. I'll say just <laughs> football alone, um, but also an incredible person. I think he absolutely has what it takes and the squad to push Leeds to the top half of the table by the end of the season. Absolutely agreed. Rodrigo is also a player. I'll just note that Barcelona and Real Madrid were in for, for about 60 million euros, like nine months ago. So, and, and he had like said goodbye to his teammates. He was about to leave for Barcelona, especially, and that just never went through. So you're getting a really high quality striker. Honestly, like I, I'm not just saying that because he was going to Barcelona. I watched him at Valencia, very high quality, very, very potent, uh, when it comes to making runs in behind, very, very versatile too. Um, I think he can really play on any of the three, four positions. So leads have what it takes. Yes, Bielsa, player of the year, go. Play. Okay. This one, I, this, I feel like we're going to have to go with De Bruyne again. I, we saw he won the PFA's player of the year. He didn't win the the, the writer's player of the year. But if Elias and I's predictions for the champions are, are similar, then I think he comes back again and we see De Bruyne win the win player of the year. Like he's the best midfielder in the world. We've talked about this ad nauseum. Like there's nothing that he cannot do. And I think this team coming back with a different motivation than last season, especially off of the UEFA decision with financial fair play and, and especially off of a disappointing exit in the champions league and being pretty much played off the park by Liverpool for the most part um, throughout last season, you know, ending almost 20 points behind them. They're going to, I think they come in with a, with a very determined mentality and especially Kevin De Bruyne, I think will be a major reason that, um, that I think that they end up finishing first again. So let's play devil's advocate for a second in the event that Kevin De Bruyne does not win player of the year. I'll give you two possible alternatives because I do think that he is the very, very likely favorite. Two possible alternatives for me are Gabriel Jesus and Ziyech. Two players that I think are posed to have very, very good season. Gabriel Jesus, because I think you're seeing the transition period between Aguero and him as the, the sole striker for Manchester City. And if you're being, again, fed by Kevin De Bruyne, then it eh, makes sense. Um, Ziyech, alternatively, because I think he is going to be Chelsea's best player. And I have high hopes for Chelsea this season. Note that I did not include any Liverpool players. I apologize for the reasons that I said at the beginning of the podcast. But... Ziyech for me is just a different type of player. Like he showed it at Ajax and I, I really think Chelsea are getting something special from him. He's just so, so dangerous on the wing. And I mean, he can play some pretty dangerous passes too. So I, I, I think those are the two possible ones. I'll give my, I, I, I'm going to throw out just two other dark horse candidates, Anthony Martial or Marcus Rashford. If you, if United are successful this season, also fair. Those are two. Those are two guys who benefited heavily from Bruno Fernandez' arrival, and and I think, I mean, we I, we we both believe that Marcus Rashford's quality, 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 top class player. 
I think that he could this, he could end up leading the league in goals this season. I think either him or Anthony Martial. So I, I have big hopes for those two players, especially. Young player of the year, Rian, because I'm, I'm personally going to stick with Manchester United. I'm actually going to choose Mason Greenwood as my young player of the year. Um, I, I just think he had a great rise at, towards the end of last season, and he has looked very good just in the games that I have seen. And I think what I like about his game is that he's consistent. And so that's very important when it comes to, um, to any young player's development. So that's my choice. Yeah, and uh, he, he needs to get a bit better on his, um, how do you say this, subtleness when it comes to, <laughs> when it comes to ladies and um, maybe trying to sneak a girl into his hotel room while off on international duty and getting sent the fuck home. Dude, what the <laughs> fuck, man? This is your first cat for England. What are you doing? Yeah, not a great uh, look at all. <laughs> no, no, but, but it's a great shout. He's a, the guy can score almost any goal. Uh, it's ridiculous with either foot. And the way he hits the ball is terrifying. He hits it with so much power that there were a couple of times at the end of last season when he got any space in the box, I was like, holy shit, he's going to score. Because he just hits the ball so pure. And I I mean, thank goodness I never ever wanted to be a goalkeeper because I can only imagine the speed that is getting hit at you by Mason Greenwood if I was like terrified and middle school and high school at getting shots popped at me by like Elias. So my young player of the year, what, what did I ever do to you? <laughs> like just out of curiosity. I'm just, I'm just throwing this out there. Damn. I, I didn't deserve that, but okay. <laughs> uh, uh, no, but I'm going for my young player of the year. I think he just about would qualify because I believe it's like 23 and under when you start the season qualifies you for that category I, i'm gonna go for charleston i think i've said before i think he'll i think this is the year he takes the next step and and even if he isn't quite ready for barcelona or real madrid next season i i think your point towards lautaro martinez there's no reason that i think he can't have a similar type of season type of breakout season as we saw from lautaro last last season and if he does not gonna, you know, not gonna put any money on it, but you know that shouldn't. But you know, they could push for fourth. I'm not saying no, they couldn't for fourth. But if he makes the step, if he wins Young Player of the Year, then Everton have will at least finish in Europa League spot, and I, I think he's primed for it, Richardson. And I think now there's a team around him that he doesn't have to do it by himself. And I think he's someone who's gonna look so much better playing with actual quality midfielders. Fair enough. Richarlson, I think is a very quality player and yeah, to have the service that he will get will be much different. Needless to say from prior years. So Fabian that's a good job. Delph. Fabian Delph was in that <laughs> midfield last season, guys. Like, he, like Batman was playing right back for Manchester city two years ago. And he was trusted in the midfield last year to like help a team score. So we have to realize again, this Everton team is 
not shit. Not shit. Until I see it, I won't believe you. But more importantly, put your money where your mouth is. I think we both agree that Manchester City will win the champion, the Premier League, excuse me, Freudian slip, um, this season. So if our picks are Manchester City for champions, who is the rest of the top four going to be made of? Sounds very vanilla for me, but I, I think it'll be the same top four as last season. I, uh, I know, I know, I know, I know. Boring as hell, very lame, but I, I think it'll be the same top four I, purely because I'm the chasing pack. I don't think has done enough to reach, I think, the same level of improvement that I expect to see from the third and fourth place scenes from last season, Chelsea and Manchester United. That's it's as simple as that, really. I mean, as, uh, I, I, obviously the jokes with Everton making top four, but but no, they, but yeah, you really just <laughs> said all of that just to turn around. No, no, no they're going to push. It doesn't mean that they can't finish, you know, within like five or six points of it. But I do think this that this year. We saw last year that the difference between fifth and eighth was something around like seven, six to seven points. I think we'll see something similar this season. I I think that gap is closing between what we had come to accept as the top big six, you know, Chelsea United, um, Arsenal, City, Tottenham, and um, oh my gosh, why am I blanking on Liverpool? Of course. Uh, the, the, that gap is closing. That gap is closing rapidly. And I think that we'll see teams go into the last month of the season who are in, you know, fifth, sixth or seventh, who will still believe they have a chance at finishing top four. So I, I, I think it'll be closer. I think it'll be, I think it'll be close again. Sorry. It'll be close again in that just outside the top four area, but I can't bring myself to to pick another name outside of that four from last season. Fair enough. I, I, I get your logic, honestly. It's hard to disagree with it. But I'm going to go with something a little different. Um, I'm going to go with a specific order in Manchester City, Liverpool, Chelsea, I think is going to finish third, and my surprise fourth, I cannot, I genuinely cannot believe I'm about to say this. You ready for this? Arsenal. Oh. Arsenal would be my shock top four pick. I almost can't even tell you why because I feel crazy saying it, but it's just the vibes. It's the vibes, man. The vibes are telling me top four. All right, so them over United, what's what's the – what do you think is – the edge that, that you're giving them. United don't have balance. You said you said it before. Like I, I think Arsenal have balance in the sense that they have players for each position. Whereas United, I think, are missing a massive like center defensive midfielder gap in midfield, and they're terrible at their fullback positions, in my opinion, comparatively speaking. And I don't have a reason to buy into that. Can like I, I don't think that they can uphold their defensive record as they did last season, miraculously. Like, I think last season was an anomaly. So I I have no reason to necessarily bet on that. I mean, 
then again, we're talking about Arsenal's defensive record. So like it, it's tough. Yeah, yeah. I, I, was, I, I think right. the team the team has a higher ceiling than Manchester United do. Yeah, as much as much um, I guess blind faith that I have in in Manchester United's back line, I will have to know like as when Bruno Fernandes came in, they did become worse defending as a team, which you know, as you'd expect as, um, when you bring in someone who's such an attacking player, um, especially compared to what they were throwing the fucking dreck that they were throwing out there before. There's reason, I think, to be slightly concerned with their overall team defending. And I I hope, I hope they do. I hope Arsenal finishes in fourth because I want to believe in Arteta more than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And maybe more than anything, I just don't want to see my team lose to him three times again. That would really just suck. But... I respect it. At least I respect, I respect the Arsenal in fourth place. And... Who knows? Maybe that'll be the shock. Maybe that that is the shock that we're that we're missing from our from our predictions. Yeah, Everton is not going to be the shock. Just just so you know, which inherently would be shocking if they were, but yeah, that's not. So, yeah, I, I, that's my pick. Um, I think that wraps up the Premier League preview, which is crazy to even say because we're like a couple days away from the season even starting, but. Rian, I'm looking forward to watching more Premier League this season, especially Chelsea um, at our apartments, and hopefully we'll actually be able to like make it happen and see people soon. So, with that, thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it as always. Hope you enjoyed the season preview, and hope you'll be watching a lot of Premier League football coming very very soon. Thank you guys. We're finally gonna have some actual soccer to talk about it again. <laughs> Again. Thank you.